Our first reading this morning is from the book of 1 Samuel. Then Samuel said, Assemble all Israel at Mizpah, and I will intercede with the Lord for you. When they had assembled at Mizpah, they drew water and poured it out before the Lord. On that day they fasted, and there they confessed, We have sinned against the Lord. Now Samuel was serving as leader of Israel at Mizpah. When the Philistines heard that Israel had assembled at Mizpah, the rulers of the Philistines came up to attack them. When the Israelites heard of it, they were afraid because of the Philistines. They said to Samuel, Do not stop crying out to the Lord our God for us, that he may rescue us from the hand of the Philistines. Then Samuel took a suckling lamb and sacrificed it as a whole burnt offering to the Lord. He cried out to the Lord on Israel's behalf, and the Lord answered him. While Samuel was sacrificing the burnt offering, the Philistines drew near to engage Israel in battle. But that day the Lord thundered with loud thunder against the Philistines and threw them into such a panic that they were routed before the Israelites. The men of Israel rushed out to Mizpah and persuaded the Israelites, pursued the Israelite Philistines, slaughtering them along the way to a point below Beth Car. Then Samuel took a stone and set it up between Mizpah and Sheen. He named it Ebenezer, saying, Thus far the Lord has helped us. As I read through this first text this morning, I was thinking about a couple of things and how it could actually relate to us and Jesus Christ. I look at us as being the nation of Israel. I look at Jesus Christ as being, in a way, Samuel, crying out to the Lord who is the Father. The enemy, of course, is the Philistines, the unbelievers. In a way, there's a sense of law and gospel also included in that because in the law, it says we have sinned against the Lord. We have been exposed to our sinful ways. But then the gospel comes through and says, thus far the Lord has helped us. The word Ebenezer, and as shown in the final text there, it says Ebenezer, it actually means stone of help. So Jesus is our sacrifice, and the stone of help, you could say, is, is the cross of Jesus Christ. We have to go through Jesus Christ in order to receive salvation. So all of this here in Samuel, even though it's written in Samuel's time, you can look at it and see how it can actually in, come into our lives as well. And that's the way Scripture works. Scripture works in such interesting ways. If we read the Scripture and then sit there and analyze it and go through it, you can see how it could actually impact us. All right. 
comes now to our second reading for today from the book of Romans, chapter 6. Now, in this particular reading that we have today, five times you will see the word righteousness. And, of course, I found it interesting that in our closing hymn today, it says, He is all my righteousness. I stand complete in him. On the cross, Jesus exchanged our sin for his perfect righteousness so that we can have one day, we can one day stand before God and he will not see our sin, but the holy righteousness of Lord Jesus Christ. Righteousness is possible for mankind, but only through the cleansing of sin by Jesus Christ and the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Righteousness is so very special, and Paul mentions it five times in our reading for today. We read now from the book of Romans, chapter 6. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who are baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin, because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin once and for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer every part of yourself to him as an instrument of righteousness. For sin shall no longer be your master because you are not under the law, but under grace. What then? Shall we sin because we are not under the law, but under grace? Oh, by no means. Don't you know that when you offer yourselves to someone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one you obey, whether you are slaves to sin, which leads to death, or to obedience, which leads to righteousness. But thanks be to God that though you used to be slaves to sin, you have come to obey from your heart the pattern of teaching that has now claimed your allegiance. 
You have been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. I'm using an example from everyday life because of your human limitations. Just as you used to offer yourselves as slaves to impurity and to an ever-increasing wickedness. So now offer yourselves as slaves to righteousness leading to holiness. When you were slaves to sin, you were free from the control of righteousness. But what benefit did you reap at that time from the things you are now ashamed of? Those things result in death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the benefit you reap leads to holiness, and the result is eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, and the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. That is our second reading. Our gospel this morning is the parable of the two sons, recorded in the book of Matthew. What do you think? There was a man who had two sons. He went to the first and said, Son, go and work today in the vineyard. I will not, he answered. But later he changed his mind and went. Then the father went to the other son and said the same thing. He answered, I will, sir. But he did not go. Which one of the two did what his father wanted? The first, they replied. They were the chief priests and the elders in the temple that were responding that Jesus was talking to. Jesus said to them, Truly I tell you, the tax collectors and the prostitutes are entering the kingdom of God ahead of you. For John came to you to show you the way of righteousness, there's that word again, and you did not believe him. But the tax collectors and the prostitutes did, and even after you saw this, you did not repent and believe him. That is our gospel reading. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Happy Sunday, everybody. Oh, yes. Our text today is usually called the parable of the two sons. And of course, most of us who are parents can probably relate to teenagers in our families. You'll, a lot of times you'll tell them to do one thing and they may or may not listen. They may say, yeah, I'll go do it. Do they do it? No. And you have to scold them and get them back into line. And sometimes you'll have a teenager who will say, yeah, I'll do it and actually go out and do it. But in all seriousness, today is a very clear understanding. Jesus is talking to the scribes and Pharisees in the temple, and they just don't get it. They don't understand what Jesus is talking about. Jesus was having a fairly long conversation with the leaders of the Jerusalem, the chief priests and the elders. And this is one of the parables that he told them. Jesus initiates a stage of the conversation with the question, what do you think? It's kind of a serious question. What do you think? 
Sometimes we'll ask people that question, well, what do you think about this? And sometimes we get a good answer, sometimes we get a bad answer. What do you think, he asked them. See, they had just refused to answer a question he posed to them, so he thought, well, I'm going to throw out this parable and see what they have to say. Now, depending upon the translation of the Bible that you may have, just so that there's no confusion out there, or there could be confusion, some manuscripts actually have the, the sons transferred around. They have the first son as the second, and the second as the first. So you just kind of have to be careful that doesn't mean anything's different. It's just that some transcripts have it switched around, just for that information. Anyway, all right, back to the reading. The first son is a man who had two sons, and he went to the first one and said, Son, go and work in the vineyard today. First can also mean older, the oldest son. Some of the transcripts actually list it that way. Sons is actually the word for children. And when the father says, Son, go and work, it is actually child, go and work. It's a more affectionate way of putting it. He's asking him to do some work on the family farm. And he answered, I'm not going to go. Give us a negative answer right off the start. Well, being the good son that he actually is, although he did sin because he lied, basically said he wouldn't do it, but he had regret, repented. His Response might have been rude and disrespectful, but then he thought about it, felt bad about the answer, and decided to go out and work in the vineyard anyway. So he did a good thing. He changed his mind. The word phrase, change his mind, can be translated as he regretted it, or he thought differently about it, or even he repented this part of the parable has some connection to Luke 15 and the parable of the prodigal son. The only other parable of Jesus that involves a father and two sons. The first son here is quite similar to the prodigal son and both show us what repentance looks like. They changed their mind and then acted accordingly. Now we have the second son in the picture. He went to the other son and did the same thing, and he answered, I will go, sir. And this is very respectful, and the father was pretty excited that, yeah, I'm going to go do it. But did he go do it? Nope. He did not do it. He was full of hot air, so to speak. So now Jesus explains about these two sons out there and he goes to leaders and he says, which of these did the will of the father? And they said, well, the first one. And Jesus said to them, truly I say to you, the tax collectors and the prostitutes will go into the kingdom of God before you. Think about that for a moment. Here we have the leaders of the law those who know the Bible, the, all the laws that are in there, some 560-some laws, at least in the Old Testament time, they knew all of those. They understood everything, but they fully did not understand what Jesus Christ was about. 
When the message of Jesus Christ is preached, especially out in missions, out in the real world, think about the people that are hearing it for the first time, and they are so excited, they grasp on to it, they come and they repent and ask for forgiveness of their ways. And Jesus says, those type of people are the ones going into heaven before you because John the Baptist told you what to do and you refused to listen. From this, we see that this father in our parable today basically represents God. The first son represents the tax collectors and the prostitutes. They said no to God initially, but then when they heard the message of the kingdom of God, they changed their minds and began to do God's will. How exciting is that? The second son represents the chief priests and the elders. They said yes to God. But when they heard the message, they were deaf. They did not act on it. And then the vineyard probably represents Israel or the people of God. But the point of the parable is very clear. Those who refuse God but later repent and obey are like the first son and will go into the kingdom of God. And they will go in before those who say yes but don't obey. Remember when Jesus says, many will come into heaven and they will say, Lord, we did all these things in your name. And Jesus will say, I never knew you. It's a strong affirmation. And interesting enough, when Jesus says, truly I say to you, whenever you see that, very, barely, barely I say unto you, Jesus is making a point. And that's when we're supposed to draw attention to. He says, take this as the absolute truth. Verily, verily, I tell unto you. It's, Jesus uses that a lot in Scripture. And when you see that, stop. Okay, this is serious. I better pay attention now and see what he's actually saying and understand it. Several times Jesus mentions that. Jesus forces them to answer the question. He said, well, which one did the Father's bidding? And they said, well, the first one, obviously. But they still don't get it. They still don't understand it. And Jesus says, John the Baptist came to you in the way of righteousness, and you did not believe. Even though they said yes to obey God, they did not believe John was from God, and they did not do what he said. Believing in Jesus Christ is so important in our everyday life. We have to go through the cross in order to receive the righteousness of Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit. Anything else is contrary to what Jesus is about. We have to actually go to him. Go to Jesus Christ. Receive the forgiveness of sins. Receive the sacraments. Receive his love. Receive his righteousness. And when we do all that, everything is going to be good. So, what are the lessons from us? We learn what God wants from us. God wants us to believe and respond to the message of the kingdom. And how do we respond? We respond by obeying God. To say it in another way, God is looking for a change within that that leads us to obedience. Remember Paul's talking about obedience and the way that we're supposed to live out our lives? And Jesus is saying exactly the same thing here. 
leading to obedience. Yes, I will do the bidding and I will do it. Unfortunately, because of sin, we might say, I will do it. Maybe not do it, or maybe things get into the way. It's also interesting to note that in our scripture for today, you'll notice that this, he says these prostitutes and tax collectors and sinners will enter into the kingdom of God ahead of them. So I'm thinking about sometimes we give the scribes and Pharisees maybe a bad rap. They're going to heaven too, but the thing is, they have to come to obedience to Jesus Christ before they will get into heaven. And Jesus is trying to get them to learn that. He's saying that they, they will probably get into heaven, but only after you obey. And that's the bottom line. Jesus does not want us to be the second son. As Christians, we have said yes to God, but we're reminded that we have sinned and have not come to the commitment of Jesus Christ. The second son echoes Matthew 7, 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Both use the address of Lord, but both don't obey the will of the Father. Both are, as Jesus interprets the parable, excluded from the kingdom of God. We live but a short time here on this planet. We never know when our time is going to come. We don't know when the end is going to be here. And I don't know if I mentioned it here or not, but we, the kingdom of God is at hand. You remember reading that in the scriptures and the disciples are thinking, thinking that it's coming very soon. It's been 2,000 years and the kingdom still has not returned. But think about this for a moment. Every moment that Jesus waits to come, someone is being saved. Jesus wants everyone to be saved and to hear the knowledge about him and about what he is all about. So for us to think that, well, we're waiting for Jesus to come, it would deny people the opportunity to hear about Jesus. And I believe it says somewhere in the Bible as well, everybody will have the opportunity to hear about Jesus. And until that time comes, the end will not come. I believe that our end is going to come when our body's probably out in that cemetery out there. That's when our end is going to come. Well, you can't worry about the things of this world when the end of the world. Yeah, the earth is heating up and this and that. All these other things are going on. But it says in Scripture, all these things will come past, but the end will not be here yet. The gospel of Jesus Christ is great news for us. We have all sinned, but through Jesus Christ, who was a perfect individual, was crucified up on the cross for us, for our sins. And his righteousness is there on the cross, given then to us. We must continue to pray. We must continue to give thanks. We must continue to live out our lives. 
and be one with Jesus Christ. One thing we don't want to be is an almost person. There was an ad that appeared from the Ad Council. It most effectively represents the public service commercials about Don't Almost Give campaign. One ad shows a man with crutches struggling to go up a flight of steps. The narrator says, This man almost learned to walk at the rehab center that almost got built by people who almost gave money. After a pause, the narrator continues, almost gave. How good is almost giving? About as good as almost walking. Another ad shows a homeless man curled up in a ball on top of a pile of rags. He is covered with a ratty bed sheet. The narrator begins, This is Jack Thomas. Today, someone almost bought Jack something to eat. Someone almost brought him to the shelter. Someone almost gave him a warm blanket. Then after a pause, the narrator drives the point home. And Jack Thomas? Well, he almost made it through the night. Almost giving is not giving. Almost coming to God is not coming to God. Almost helping is not helping. Almost is not the same, or almost is the same as not at all. If I were to skip a few days of work and then show up one morning announcing that I almost got up and went to work those days, You'd say, almost doesn't cut it. I think we live in a society of almost. We almost made it to church, but we got detained because of this and that. I almost went to Bible study, but I got a phone call. I almost did this, I almost did that. And when you use the word almost... Now, you're probably going to catch yourself every time you use the word almost. It might stick in your mind. Oh, jeepers, here we go. Almost is the same as not doing it at all. So hopefully we'll think about that if we ever use the word almost in our lives. I almost got that done. You didn't, did you? Almost is not done. Almost coming to Jesus Christ is not coming to him. You have to be committed and say, yes, I most certainly will. Get rid of the all and say, most. I most certainly will. I most certainly believe in Jesus Christ. I most believe in God. I mostly, I, I totally believe, you, not most, totally. We have to totally believe in God. So, it's up to us to decide which sin we're going to be. It's up to us to decide to not almost, but to definitely trust in Jesus Christ, our Lord. So with that, here we go. Another day, another hour, another minute progresses in our lives. 
May we go forth today and praise God totally. Or are we almost going to go back and eat? Hmm. Oh, no. We would, wouldn't we? That's definite. Definitely believe in Jesus Christ. Amen. May the grace of God which surpasses all understanding keep our hearts and minds in the true Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Let us confess the Christian faith according to the words of the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord. He was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen.